Morning, church family. Boy, I'm a little hot, aren't I? Awesome. It's so good to see you all. And uh, I'm grateful to be back here in the pulpit. It's kind of weird being back here in the pulpit after three weeks, but I'm happy to be here. And um, I want to, first of all, really promote the upcoming series, Revelation. Um, I have taught Revelation many, many times uh, throughout my Christian journey. And God has given me just a love for that book. It was one of the first books that I read as a non-believer. And it just changed my life. It scared me. It interested me. It caused curiosity to stir up inside of me. But uh, it was interesting because I found that the author of Revelation was also the author of John, the Gospel. And it was through the Gospel of John that I truly understood the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is and who he was, and who he is to be, and that revelation is the culmination of all that Christ is. He came as a suffering servant, and he will come again as a conquering king. Oh, hallelujah, what a savior. Amen? So I encourage you, please, find unchurched friends, neighbors, co-workers, people who are not connected to a church family, and invite them to this, in, uh, this series starting on September 10th. Uh, With that, I want to give you all an update on my health. Uh, Many of you know, if you're new this morning, I was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Um, The staging was anywhere from three and a half to four, I guess. Uh, Stage four cancer in the stomach uh, on January 13th. And uh, I began, uh, I met with a, a doctor, oncologist, who said, let's get started right away with chemotherapy. And, um, and so I started on Valentine's Day, uh, Jan- uh, February 14th. And uh, every couple of weeks, I would get um, a Mac Daddy uh, six-and-a-half-hour uh, chemo treatment. Many of you who have battled cancer, cancer in your life or who currently are battling cancer, you know what I mean. Um, and I can't tell you how much it means to be able to go to a cancer center and the nurses and the nurse practitioners who are there, they just bless your heart because they are there to serve you and love on you and to give you hope. But the greatest hope we have is in Jesus Christ. And so I had a church family that was praying for me from the very beginning. All of you, I, Susan and I cannot tell you how much... It meant to us that you prayed diligently. You gave, you sent cards, you gave gift cards, you brought meals, you sent text messages. You let God know you want his will to be done. And here I stand after 12 chemo treatments and having had stomach surgery, I mean, gastric, a gastrectomy. And also, as it turns out, a splenectomy. Okay, they, got, they had to take that too. I said, I'm glad you didn't take my liver. I got to have that. That was on July 31st. And uh, they released me from the hospital on August 5th. And throughout this whole journey, Susan has been an amazing wife and partner and friend. Y'all don't know how much she does for our family. Um. But I'm here to tell you that I met with the doctor in a follow-up post-op surgery uh, visit last Wednesday. And uh, they had taken biopsies of all of the lymph nodes that were affected and many others as well, as well as biopsies of the stomach. 
Um, and uh, the pathology report came back. Do you all believe in the power of prayer? Do you all believe in miracles? That tumor had shrunk down to three centimeters. They removed it with the stomach. They also removed 17 lymph nodes. Not one of them had any trace of cancer. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you that he was blown away, uh, the doctor, and uh, he said, man, you are an outlier. <laughs> now, all of you know I've been an outlier my whole life, and so uh, no surprise to me, but he then informed me that you now can consider yourself in remission. And uh, so I meet with the oncologist on Tuesday, and uh, they may do a couple more treatments, just uh, they typically do. Um, but I'm here to encourage all of those who are in the battle right now. God's will be done. If his plan is for you to stay alive, you stay hopeful. That's what I encourage all people. You know, I, I, I struggle to give my good news because I know others don't get that kind of good news. So I want to give a shout out to all of my fellow cancer survivors, and fighters. And I pray every day for those in our church family who are still battling on. There are going to be casualties in the spiritual warfare that we're waging. Many of us have lost loved ones to cancer. We know how that feels. But we also know that our God is bigger than cancer. Amen? So with that, I want us to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to just kind of give an update on, um, uh, or, or a title of the message today. It's fearless faith. How to have a fearless faith. I want you to imagine with me that you were at a, a concert by uh, Let Us Worship, Sean uh, Foyt is the Christian musician who started Let Us Worship several years ago. And he goes from city to city throughout the U.S. And he gathers a large crowd to worship God. And it's a, it's a worship experience. I've never been to one. But uh, in a recent interview, he explained that in our modern culture, as a Christian musician who is putting on these large worship events, he had this to say. We've gotten fined, and we have been persecuted. We have had Satanists throw blood on us. We have had throw our gear. We've had our gear thrown into the river. We've had super glue pour, poured on all of our equipment. We've had our generators unplugged. We've had permits revoked last minute with no explanation. We've, re we've encountered pretty much every kind of resistance you can imagine over the last few years. If you don't believe that the Christian faith is under attack, just read his testimony. Now, just this morning, I learned that someone had actually broken into his car recently and stolen his guitar. They, they smashed the back window, they took his guitar, and then they sold it to a pawn shop. They traced the pawn shop purchase back to a gentleman who then 
after having been forgiven of the deed and no charges pressed, this man wanted to know more about this guy, Sean Foyt. And so he met with him in Spokane, Washington. And that man who stole his guitar just recently gave his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's the world we're living in. And so our response needs to be like that. In the Hebrews book, we learn from this author that Jesus is superior to everything and everyone. In chapter 1, he is superior to the angels. In chapter 2, he is superior to every other human that has ever walked the planet. In chapter 3, he is superior to the great lawgiver, Moses. In chapters 4 and 5, he is superior to the Sabbath, the day of rest. He is superior to the high priesthood of Aaron. He is, an, he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, it says in Hebrews And then in chapter 8, he is superior to the old covenant. In chapter 9, Jesus is superior to the tabernacle itself and all of the elements and parts of the tabernacle. And in chapter 10, he is superior to the entire sacrificial system given to Moses in the Old Testament. That Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. That he is the perfect sacrifice. That he died once and for all. And that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so the author of Hebrews is encouraging his readers. He's sending this letter to that church in Rome and he is telling them, don't give up. And so we come to the end of that chapter 10 and I want to read it for us. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to begin in verse 32 and go to the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 10. (laughs) beginning in verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you have received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Father, this is your word. Oh, what encouragement this author has given to his congregation in Rome. Lord, I pray that now 2,000 years ago, these words are an encouragement to us. As we start to see persecution ramp up against the Christian community, may we understand that we are to live a fearless faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there's really two aspects or two attributes of fearless faith. The first one is unshakable confidence unshakable confidence. Look at what it says there in verse 35. 
So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now our confidence, the word confidence there in the Greek is parasia, parasia. And it literally means to be bold, to be resolute, to have courage, to stand up and speak when something is wrong, to stand your ground. It is God's promise to be richly rewarded. In Jeremiah 17, uh, we read these words, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. The root of our confidence is Jesus Christ himself. And if you look back with me to the very same chapter, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 19, let's look at that together. It says, therefore, having established that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament sacrificial system, he then says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Now, what is the most holy place? Well, if you know anything about your Old Testament, you will understand that in Exodus, after God led the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, gave them the law, he then gave them instructions to build a sanctuary, a mobile sanctuary, that wherever they settled their camp, they would worship God and God himself would meet them in that place called a tabernacle. Now, later on, Solomon would build a physical temple, okay, which, re- which represented the same exact concept that it was God's meeting place with man. God will dwell with men. And so if you learn anything about the tabernacle in Exodus chapters 25 to 40, you'll learn this, that there's three sections to this tabernacle. There's the outer courtyard, and then there's the holy place, and then beyond the holy place is what's known as the most holy place, the holy of holies. Now in the outer courtyard, there was an altar where the sacrifices were performed. And then there was a basin, a water basin or a laver where the priest would wash his hands. And then the holy, the holy place had three pieces of furniture. The first was the lampstand, the golden lampstand with seven lights. And then on the other side, there was a table of bread. It was the bread of the presence. And then beyond that, just before this veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place is the altar of incense for the prayers of God's people. And so then beyond that is this curtain. And this curtain separated the holy place where the priests would minister day after day from the most holy place where once a year the high priest and only the high priest was allowed to go in to the most holy place and offer sacrifices for himself, for his family, and for the community of Israel. And he would do so on the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments and the jar of manna, and Aaron's uh, staff that had budded. And those 10, you can find this in chapter 9 of Hebrews. It tells us this. But it's interesting because on the top of that ark is what's known as the mercy seat of God, the mercy seat of Christ, because he is the fulfillment once 
and for all. No longer do the blood of bulls and goats have to atone temporarily for the sins of the people. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all and atoned for all mankind who come to faith in him. You no longer have to sacrifice. You come by the sacrifice that is the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So that's what the author's saying here in chapter 10, verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. The most holy place is God's dwelling place with man. And then it says this, by the blood of Jesus And then look in verse 20. By a new and living way opened for us through the what? The curtain that is his body. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished. What he was doing was he's saying the the purpose for which the father sent me has been accomplished. It is is finished. You realize the cross is the epicenter of all of human history. Everyone before him looked to that moment. Everyone who's been since him has looked back to that moment. And he's coming again. And when he comes, he will not come as a suffering servant. He'll come as a conquering king to gather his people to himself, to establish the perfect kingdom that God had ordained from the beginning of the world. You understand that is the power of the Bible, the ancient words that we read. They've got to change us from the inside out when we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament talked about. But it's interesting when he stood on it, he hung on that cross, he said, it is finished. What happened? The curtain in the temple was rent from top to bottom. This is a beautiful picture of now everyone who enters through the body of Jesus Christ has full access to God. There is no longer a veil between us and the Holy Father. We now have access to Him through the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the power of the gospel. And so, therefore, because we have this confidence, he tells us, look in verse 20, 23 here, or actually 22. There are four statements of let us. The first is, let us draw near to God. Because now the temple veil is broken. There is no longer this barrier between us and God. Let us draw near to God. In verse 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. There's hope in Christ. He's done for us what we could never do for ourselves and therefore He is one worthy to be worshipped and praised. We are to hold unswervingly to that hope. And then thirdly, look at what it says there in verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you were here last week, Pastor Ron talked about the greatest, the greatest expression of God is love. It's the most excellent way. And if you love one another the way that Christ loved you, 
then the world will witness. And I promise you that when our church, and we do, we love one another. Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so that's our job is to love one another unconditionally. It's the greatest evangel to the world. It is what made that man come to Christ after he stole the guitar. He recognized there's something different about the Christian because our eyes are not on the temporal, on the physical, on the earthly, but it's on the heavenly, the eternal. And that's the beauty of it. And so we are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then finally, look at what it says in verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the day here is, of course, the second coming of Christ. That's what it's referring to. The culmination of the age. As we see the day approaching, all the more we should be meeting together. All of you are here this morning, but I'm here to tell you, it's well documented. The COVID pandemic has caused a lot of Christians who were regularly in the house of worship on Sunday to just get out of the habit and stay home. If I were to ask you to think of people that you know who have gotten out of the habit of coming and worshiping with the family of God, I ask you to reach out to them and encourage them to get connected. I promise you, it's not about Ashley River. Just get connected to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Just get connected to the body. There's a lot of people who tell me, Randy, I don't understand the purpose of membership. I think we need to change our vernacular. We're not a, we're not a membership. We're not some community club. This is the body of Christ. This is a family. That's why every morning I get up, the first thing I say is, good morning, church family. You see, that's what family is. And we're related by blood. The one shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're family. We're not just friends or acquaintances. We are family. And that's what this is all about. When we come together, it's a reunion. We're coming together with brothers and sisters in Christ. When Paul wrote to Ephesus or Thessalonica or Philippi or Rome, he didn't sit there and say, all of you who casually attend the church. No, he said the saints, the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. He identified them as part of a family. That's our job is to build a family of faith here, to worship every Sunday morning because our week, every week, we are to be on mission for Christ. We are to present and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, to love God, to love others. That's what our job is. And then we are to come on Sunday morning and we are to celebrate His goodness, His provision, His protection, his love. God loves you. I love you. I love you. And I know you love me. Amen and hallelujah. I'm so happy to be a part of the family of God. Well, not only is the root of our confidence Jesus Christ, but we look at the results of our confidence. I'll look at these quickly with us. Number one, there's the conviction. Notice what he says up there. I'm back in chapter 10, verses 32 and uh, following. Verse 32 says, After you had received the light, that is, you've come into Christ, you've been converted to the faith, when you stood your 
ground. The idea behind this is that they are convicted. They are convinced. Paul would say to Timothy, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Paul was convinced in the midst of suffering. When you're going through a difficult time or trial in your life, be convinced of the provision of Jesus Christ in your life. He even gave it to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you today and every day. Trust God. Your mercies, the Bible says, are new every morning. And Jesus said this, and here's a warning to all of us. And I know that there's a lot of us who are a little uncomfortable being overt about our Christian faith. But God wants us to be bold. He wants us to be convicted and convinced that he is our savior. Because Jesus did say this, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. Oh, friends, family members, don't fall for the idea of being silenced at school, at your workplace. When you meet somebody within the first five minutes, they should know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when they go through a tough patch in their life, guess who they're going to reach out to? You. They're going to watch your life and they're going to say, what is it about you that makes you different? Secondly, beyond conviction, there's compassion. Look at what he says there. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult. That's verbal abuse and persecution. That's physical abuse. And at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. He had compassion. Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they looked like sheep scattered around, hopeless and hapless and helpless without a shepherd. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Don't you want to introduce him to those who need that hope? You see, that's compassion. That's standing with one another. The word compassion literally means to suffer with, to suffer alongside. That's what it means. In, um, in, and then thirdly, joy. I, I'm, I'm blown away by this. He says this in the, verse 34. You sympathized with those in prison. And then what? Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Can you imagine somebody coming through the doors right now and going through the pews and taking your wallet or your purse and walking right out the back door? How would you respond? I dare say none of us would feel joyful about that event, would we? None of us would. And yet that's what these Christians who had demonstrated such unbelievable fearless faith were doing. They joyfully accepted. How could you joyfully accept the confiscation of your property? Because of the next phrase. Because you knew. You knew. That you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Amen. You know, I'm not living for the here and now. I'm living for the then and forever. I'm living for the then and forever. James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know 
that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We know that we will have better and lasting possessions. Jesus said, store up for yourselves in heaven treasures where moths and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. That's the job of the church family. We give tithes and offerings as a church family to support the gospel mission of this local body and other local bodies and missionaries around the world. Our job is to give people the greatest gift for free that they have ever received. But it takes money to do that. You have to be a person who understands that nothing that you have has come from anyone but God. It's all His. And all He wants us to do is be faithful with a little. Tithe literally means 10% of your income. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, it's the inflation's hit us. This is hard times. I'm having a hard time make, making ends meet. Well, I'm here to tell you that God wants you to take a step of faith. Start small and see what he will do. See what he will do. It's the most tangible way in which you will be building up treasures in heaven. We don't want to necessarily depart with it, but I'm here, I'm here to tell you from the time that I was 23 years old, when I first gave my tithe to this church, believe it or not, I've never missed. And he has never let me down. He has always provided. So that's one testimony. I can only tell you what God has done in my life. So let me encourage you. We're going we're gonna to be asking you to really step up and give joyfully to the gospel mission of this church. And so I pray that we will ourselves consider joy to give to God what is already his. Amen? All right, so then there's secondly, an unstoppable perseverance. Look at what he says there in verse 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will... Now, let me just say this. I don't know if this is in your Bible, but it's in mine. The words, he who is coming will not come and following in verses 37 and 38. Do you, do you realize what that is? That's a quote from Habakkuk, what Kristen read this morning. It is a quote. The author of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And what he's saying is, he who is coming... Who is that? Jesus Christ, he who is coming will come and will not delay. My, but my righteous one will live until he comes by what? Faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. You understand that perseverance is key to the Christian life. Many of us, when we are saved, we're excited it's a newfound faith. We're learning a lot. We're growing. We're worshiping. We're serving. We're doing great things. And then somewhere along the road, life hits us and we get a little sidetracked and we get a little off course. And sometimes we go through struggles and challenges in our lives. Listen, I've been there. I've been there. That's why the picture of the Old Testament is perfect for the Christian. 
when Moses had brought them out of Egypt and they were saved from the shackles of slavery, okay, which is like sin. Moses brought them through the Red Sea. That's like baptism. They were cleansed and they were brought through on the other side. And then they came to the mountain. They had a mountaintop experience where Moses did. And God gave him the law. And we know that in the New Testament, the law is not written on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of his people. But then what happens? For 40 years, the Israelites wander in the desert. You understand that's what the Christian life is like. And who is the oasis giver? It's Jesus Christ. He is our fountain. Come thou fount of every blessing. You understand that's what Jesus is. He is our sustainer. He is our provider. He is our preserver. He helps us to persevere in the faith. We learn in Ephesians chapter 1 all the blessings that we have. It says there, you know, you will receive what he has promised. Well, what has God promised for all of us when we get to the end of our days and he takes us home? Do you realize what we're going to get? In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, he says this, you will be holy and blameless before a holy God. That's number one. Number two, you, will be pre, you are predestined. When you come to Christ, you are then predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters into his family. Number three, you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are bought back. You are a purchased possession. God has bought you back by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number four, you're enlightened. You're enlightened to the truth of the gospel. God gives you the Holy Spirit to help you see how the whole Bible fits together like a beautiful mosaic. And then finally, uh, number four, it, uh, number five, actually, it says this, that you're, you have an inheritance that you have an inheritance that is not perishable, not corruptible. It is in store for you and I. It is those heavenly treasures that we were talking about. It is also the ability to be with Christ. Number six, it says you're included in Christ. You're included in the body. You can't lose your salvation. You're included in him. And then lastly, you are given the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You're given the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That's all in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Those seven blessings. We talked about that in our study. And in James chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He will receive the crown of life. Now, the crown here in James is a crown, it's called laurel wreath. It's not a diadem, it's the Greek word Stephanos, Stephanos. And what it literally means is a laurel wreath. It's akin to the Greek games, the Olympics, where after they would win their event, they would receive a laurel wreath to place on their heads. We will read about the crowns in Revelation as we go through it in September. But the, the crown that we will receive, we will then, according to Revelation, then cast that wreath to the throne where God sits. Because he is the one who saved us. Amen and hallelujah. So the promise for them is very clear. We are given an amazing promise 
not only that he will save us, that he will redeem us, that we will receive an inheritance and a crown, but the most beautiful gift is the returning of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to come and take us to be with him so that where he is, we will be with him forever. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. So therefore, our response is this. Individually, my encouragement to all of us this morning is to worship more deeply, to work more diligently in the church, as Ron said last week, using your spiritual gifts in service to the other members of this body for the common good. If you're not in service in this church, may we ask you to step up. Call me, call someone on the staff and say, I want to be used. Isla was used today. She beautifully sang for us. She used her gift. God gave her that gift and she used it joyfully. But then also we are to witness. You hear me all the time. Invest and invite. Invest in other people's lives. Get to know them. Be a friend. Stretch your network. Be the kind of person who's willing to meet new people and let them know that you love them unconditionally. Don't let them, don't sit there and say, well, you've got some issues you've got to work out and then you can, no, that's not how it works. You have issues. I had issues. We all had issues. Some of us still have issues. But guess what? When you come to Christ, he's the one who will help you solve your issues. You've got to come to Christ first. And then uh, lastly, corporately, we can be bold in our worship and our witness. We can step out in faith. We're going to be uh, driving a campaign this fall called Faith Forward. It's rebuilding Ashley River. It's been long overdue that we upgrade our facilities. So we've got a capital improvement plan that God's laid on our hearts, and we want to see that come to fruition. I tell you, it's big, it's bold, but then that's the beauty of it because only God can make it happen. If it was small and achievable, then we would all pat ourselves on the back. But we want God to work, we want Him to go forward, and we want to follow Him in faith. And then we can reconnect, like I said earlier, reconnect with those who have shrunken back. The last words are there, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. All of us know people who are not connected to a church right now. All of us. You've got a golden opportunity to invite them to Ashley River. And if they come next Sunday and hear Jesse, that's going to be icing on the cake. Okay? So please use these cards to intentionally find people who are not in Christ or are not involved actively in a church family. And I promise you, we'll let the Spirit do the rest. Amen? All we have to do is invite, invite, invest and invite. So finally, my encouragement to all of us is to demonstrate daily an unshakable, unshakable confidence in Jesus Christ our Savior and an unstoppable perseverance in our faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. 
Oh, we love you, Lord, for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. Lord, may you work in and through our congregation to extend our arms around this community that they may know the love of Jesus Christ, but most importantly, that they may know the salvation that is found only in Him. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Lord, we honor and glorify Him today. We thank You for the tangible ways in which You're working in and through our congregation, our family of faith. May You continue to work, Lord. May we be faithful and sensitive to your leading so that we may join you in that work and lead a fearless, faithful life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we sing this uh, hymn, uh, I Surrender All. If you've never trusted Jesus or if you're not sure, now's the time for you to say yes to Jesus once and for all. You come forward. And we can talk about that. Or if you want to join our church, our membership here, our family of fellowship, you come. Many people have joined over this past year. We'll get you plugged in. We'll love on you. And we'll welcome you to this wonderful family of faith. And if you have some things you want to deal with with God, do it right there in your pew or you can come forward and pray. I'll pray with you. But we pray all of this and we'll sing, I surrender all right now. Please stand as we sing.